Hey there, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. I stand here before you without a title for this vlog. Kind of a topic, like what's real and true and what's been going on over here for the last little bit. That's the topic. <laughs> Kind of a notion that I will tie it back to your Bright Line Eating journey at some point. Not really 100% sure which angle I'm going to take on that. There's several that work. And a lot of stuff has been going on around here. So, uh, oh, so fair warning. Yeah, if you're someone who watches this weekly vlog tolerating when I bring in personal stuff and just wishing I would get back to the point, be a little bit more concise and make sure to hit home on some like really straightforward ways that you can lose weight this week, um, you will hate this vlog and you should stop watching right now. Like jump ship by all means, close down the browser window and go do something better with your time because this is not your vlog. Uh, if, on the other hand, you show up to the weekly vlog tolerating the weight loss stuff, hoping that at some point I'll say something about my personal life that makes you go, oh, did she just say that? Does she know that that's on the internet for posterity and um, how it sounds to all of us that she just said that? If you watch the vlog for that, then you might want to keep watching. Okay, with all those fair warnings out of the way, happy holidays. This vlog is about my marriage. Hi, David. <sighs> David was shoveling snow this morning and um, I walked out down the driveway in my slippers. It's a long driveway and like stood there till he noticed he was at the foot of the driveway, like shoveling snow. And finally he noticed, he's like, you need me? And I was like, so we met together i'm still in my slippers the snow is seeping through and he's like what's up and i said i gotta shoot the vlog is there anything you don't want me to say and he's like well all right what angle are you taking with the whole thing and i said i'm kind of just rolling camera and seeing what comes out that's why i'm asking it this way is there anything you don't want me to say and he basically said, essentially, I think the time for me to request privacy has passed. Like, basically, if I wanted a private life, I should have said so a few years ago because it's already too late. So have at it, my dear. He said, actually, what he said was really sweet. He said, I trust you. Say, say what you want to say, and I trust you. Um... Oh, where do I go with this? Yesterday, my plan was to move out. And I told David that. I talked with several people about it. Um, I found a place online that I wanted to call and see if it was still available. Yeah, I was out. Out. Done. Um, actually, I was done a few days before that. And then David started to like come around, right? In a marriage, you're always thinking if he would just come around or if she would just, you know, whatever, stop this or that. Um, 
yesterday I wasn't so much done with the marriage. I was feeling like I needed space to just um, do me essentially, like the the impact of daily interactions with David um, was starting to feel like more than I could shoulder. Um, you know, I, I do, a, I have a lot to shoulder, right? Um, uh, mostly because of the care that I bring to being an employer and um, coaching people and Bright Line Eating and my own recovery journey and um, being in integrity with my thoughts and words and actions and monitoring all the relationships in my life. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of um, supports. I get, I get a ton of support. So it was funny. I hired a professional um, productivity guy, Ron Friedman. I he, honestly, I think he's the best in the world at what he does. He helps, um, he helps people be more productive in their day, particularly around, um, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, he had me track my time. He's like, you got, you got nothing fixed on your calendar except your Monday leadership team meeting. And yet you're like the busiest person I know. So what gives? Like what exactly is going on during your week that makes you so busy? And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, Ron. It's sort of like it's a, it's different every day, right? Like, I don't know. It could be an all day video shoot. It could be I got to hire for a new position. It could be I got to fire somebody and like really be careful about how that goes down. It could be... I'm traveling to a conference. I could, it could be I'm coming back from a conference. I mean, it, it could be any number of things. So he had me track my time um, over uh, what was supposed to be a relatively representative work week um, when I was home. And he's like, um, depending on how you put this, you spend like 40 hours a week on personal growth. <laughs> you know, between my recovery stuff, uh, the coaching that I get from people, the, um, I don't know, all the stuff I do, it's basically recovery. It's like, uh, it's like personal growth. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's why I, you know, that's why people listen to me when I talk about the stuff I talk about, because I, I'm not messing around. Like I'm in this game, right? Like I, I, I focus on it. So back to my marriage, this was actually part of, um, in the heat of one of our arguments this week, David was like, I'm not a 12 stepper. And I was like, I know it's pretty clear. Um, that was snide. If you didn't pick that up. Um, I don't think that's what I said, but anyway, but, but his point was he's very different than I am. And, um, and that's fair. And that's, beautiful, right? Who wants to be married to themselves, right? That's like having two left shoes. Um, but I had started to feel that the gap between us was too big, like the differences essentially were too big, especially um, at some point during the heat of one of our discussions this week, David said, essentially, like, what I really need in this relationship is for you to back off of uh, me and my personal growth path, like whether I'm growing or not growing, I want you to stop inviting me into, you know, like workshops and books and conferences, like what, you know, like, like get away from me and my personal growth path. And, um, and I was kind of like, okay, I mean, I can see why he wants that. He feels judged when I'm, um, When I'm inviting him to stuff, it feels, it lands for him like a judgment, right? Like, uh, like I've assessed him and I see the gap and I, uh, from my perspective, right? From, from my vantage point, um, and I want him to grow in my image and likeness. And I know exactly what I think he needs. 
and that's what I'm proposing. And um, from his perspective, it's sort of like, you know, I'm really different than you and it doesn't really make me feel good as a human being to feel like, you know, you're constantly pointing out my gaps and shortcomings. And I'm thinking growing together is what partnership is to me, right? So those invitations actually weren't laced with judgment. They were just, I mean, from my perspective, right? That's, that's a tricky one, right? Judgment is an interesting thing because brains are judging and assessing machines. That's what they do. That's what they have to do to assess. Should I walk or stand still? Should I run away? Is that edible? I mean, like brains have to judge. They have to assess. They have to evaluate. And socially, they do that all the time, right? So for me to say I'm not bringing judgment when I invite him to a workshop on nonviolent communication or on, you know, um, imago therapy or on whatever, right? Um, it might very well be that I, I've, you know, sort of sized up what feels like gaps in our communication and I know of a methodology that would fill that gap and I'm offering it and inviting him into it. The challenge then is like, if he's like, no, and get away with that, <laughs> um, then what's happened over the years is like several things. One is that the gap between us in terms of, um, I don't know what, uh, well, certainly, certainly the gap between us in terms of the ability and willingness to express needs, wants, desires to the other and um, show up in integrity with what we want and need and, and offer it to the other person as something that they can then choose to, to step up and meet or fill or not, um, that gap is enormous. And that is actually what we ultimately came to yesterday. He um, told me that he'd realized that, um, his, what's causing his anger. And that's where this all started was with a bunch of anger around Thanksgiving, his anger. Um, yeah, let me back up and tell that story and then I'll come back to, to what he said yesterday about his big awareness. Um, Thanksgiving, we were in California. We always go to California for Thanksgiving. This was the sixth annual. David's from Northern California. I'm from Northern California. All of our aunts and uncles and cousins and now cousins, kids, little kids, lots of little kids are in California. Um, and so we spend time in the San Francisco Bay Area, the Monterey Bay Area. We love it. Our kids love it because they get to see all their cousins. And usually a fun time is had by all. This year, we had a fun time until Thanksgiving and then David got really mad like really angry to the point where I didn't feel um, comfortable or safe. I mean, David's not a a person who would hit me or the kids or anything like that. It's more that um, it's scary when someone's really angry, right? I, it it um, feels unsafe. Um, he got really angry at Thanksgiving around the poker tournament. Um, if you don't know, the uh, Thompson family has a... Thompson Baggett family has a poker tournament at Thanksgiving every year, Texas Hold'em. We'd actually taught our kids, our daughters, how to play Texas Hold'em, and they were pretty good. They were all right. And they were in the tournament this year. Um, and, uh, you know, this, there's a trophy. Like, this is a legit, it's really cute. And it's like the Stanley Cup where, you know, your name goes, if you win, your name goes on the plate and um, you get to bring the trophy back to your place for the year and then you bring it again the next Thanksgiving and whoever's going to win it that year. Um, typically, like, I don't know, six to ten people sit around the table. Typically, I'm the only female. 
And um, for the last several years, I've come in second out of six to 10 people. I always come in second behind Keith Baggett. I turned to Keith this year as it looked like he was gonna win again, even though I had been ahead with the chips at some point earlier in the night. I turned to him and I was like, well, at least we know the actual talent stack in the room, right? You're the, t the best poker player in the room. I'm the second best. And we can all just rest assured that that's because this is like the fourth year in a row that Keith has won and I've come in second. Anyway, David was mad. He was super mad. It had to do with noise in the room. and But he wasn't making clean requests of the people that were making the noise. And um, he was just raging about it. And the next day... Um, I came back to the hotel room in the morning from being out and about doing stuff that he'd agreed I could and should go out and about and do. And he was mad again and raging mad, like really mad. And one of the things that had happened for me, I don't think it was that morning. It was a series of mornings actually. I was out going to a 12-step meeting and um, I'd asked him, you know, it's a 7.30 in the morning meeting and I went every morning and he'd agreed that that was fine. The kids aren't doing anything that early in the morning. They're on their iPads and going down to the breakfast buffet and coming back up. I mean, like nothing's happening. So when I asked, he was like, oh yeah, totally go do that. That's, there's nothing going on around here that early in the morning. So as long as you're back by, you know, a certain time, that's no, no skin off my back. And every day, I had committed to my mastermind group, my Brightline Eating mastermind group, the magnificent Mavens mastermind group. I'd committed, my weekly commit that week was that three times a day in California on our Thanksgiving trip, I would ask David, how are you doing? Is there anything I could do to improve your minute, your day, your experience right now? And I tracked it in an Evernote that three times a day I was asking him, is there anything I can do to improve your experience? How you doing? Anything I can do for you? And um, so I'd get back from my meeting and I would, um, you know, check in with him, ask him that question. He's like, no, good. How are you? We were having sex every day, which um, that's a lot. That's unusual for us. Um, but it's something I know he always, you know, likes, appreciates, is down for. So he commented even like, whoa, we more than met quota this month. <laughs> and um, quota for us is three times a week. I set that a long time ago. Um, as like as a service, that's more than I need, but, um, but I know he likes and appreciates it. So it was my way of thinking like, what can I do for my man? Well, I can show up for a physical relationship. I know that that matters to him. Um, so I was having sex with him every day and, um, you know, I never lose out when I make that commitment. Like I'm always glad we did. Right. Sometimes I don't want to going in, but I'm always glad we did. See, now you're thinking, okay, TMI, do you know that this is public? I know. I haven't said anything pornographic. Settle down, Beavis. We're married. Um, so it was going really well, right? The trip was going great. And then he flipped and got really angry, like really angry. And while I was out at these meetings and at the beach, I was going to the Monterey Beach. And getting on my knees and praying. I had the most profound series of spiritual experiences in succession that I've ever had in my life. I have had profound spiritual experiences in my life 
deeply profound ones. You might be aware that on January 26th, 2014, I was meditating. And from my perspective, what I experienced was God saying, write a book called Bright Line Eating. And it came with such force that the very next day I started waking up at 4.25 a.m. to write a book proposal from 4.30 to 5 a.m. and I didn't miss a morning for months. And you might also know that on August 9th, 1994, sitting in a crack house at the age of 20 with a blonde wig on my head as a prostitute, God said, if you don't get up and get out of here right now, this is all you're ever going to be. And it was said with such force that I took my jacket and I walked out the door. And that night on a first date, a guy I didn't even know took me to a 12-step meeting for drug and alcohol recovery. And I have not had a drink or a drug since that day. I have had spiritual experiences in my life. And I can say with complete certainty that I have never experienced in succession the force and number of spiritual experiences that I had over the last two weeks in California. Never. Never. Again and again and again. Several of them so powerful that there aren't words. I can't. There aren't words for experiences like that. But the net net was, um, they, they weren't unlike the first two things I just told you, the write a book called bright line eating and get up out of this crack house, or this is all you're ever going to be. There was no, um, transformative content to these spiritual experiences other than you are fine, sweetheart and good and in the pocket of my love and care and protection and your sole job, only job, is to check in with your deep centered God voice at every moment and do the next right thing as it indicates, like just do that. Every moment, that is all you have to do is the next right thing. And there is time for everything and the onslaught of bright line eating explosion is coming beyond even what you think it might be and you're gonna be fine. I've got you. And it's going to be easy and fun. And this was said with double rainbows and some words and feelings. And so suffice to say, I walked back into that hotel room in Monterey. Good. Like not giddy happy, but like solid, kind, clear centered, compassionate, grounded, whole, well. And David was ragingly angry. And screamed and stormed out. And although my body was stirred up, sympathetic nervous system will do what it's going to do, right? And I was all like, a little bit from that. 
but not really. I kind of calmed down and then I assessed the situation and, you know, okay. So um, I was a little bit later getting home than I thought I was going to be because um, we had an employee whose son is was suicidally depressed and in the ER from um, a leg that he might lose and uh, relapse into heroin addiction. And I was rallying some support because I know some recovery people in the city that he was in at the time. And I took a little bit of time to try to support her and take some steps to help save his life. And then I also took a little bit of time because the team reached out to me because we have huge, fabulous Reboot Resume and boot camp plans for, you know, you <laughs> or someone you know at January 1st who might want to um, reboot and resume their Bright Line Eating Life or start the boot camp for the first time. You know, we know January 1st is a, is a, a time right around which people might want to start taking this whole thing seriously. Um, so my team needed, you know, um, what webinars are you going to do? And are they going to be live? And, you know, um, blah, 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 blah. And I had to give them answers because, you know, this was, I know Thanksgiving is, um, this was the day before Thanksgiving and it was, or the day after Thanksgiving. And uh, it was a work day for a lot of the people at Brightline Eating because of the time of year. Just like if you, work at Target the day after Thanksgiving is a work day, right? So uh, because of the time of year. So anyway, I was having to give them some answers. Otherwise, they couldn't do their work. So I got back to the hotel um, later than he was thinking I'd be there. And, um, and he was mad and he stormed out. I assessed the situation and the kids needed to pack because it was the day to leave. And um, I decided to forego my shower because I take a long time to shower. And when David came back into the hotel room, my clarity was so present. And with careful I statements, I just spoke my truth. I said, David, can I speak to you for a second? I said, I'm not going to be showing up for your anger anymore the way it manifests. I said, your anger in little bits, like throughout regular days that manifests as contempt and irritation and frustration and um, dismissiveness and iciness. I said, those interactions don't feel good to me. And I said, and I'm not going to be showing up for your angry outbursts the way they manifest. And that means that for a bit, I'm not going to travel with you and the kids because those outbursts happen often when we travel together. I said, this doesn't mean I'm divorcing you. It does mean that I'm going to be making some changes about what I show up for in our relationship. I said, I'm also not going to be modeling to our kids, our daughters anymore that um, when a man is raging in ways that feel inappropriate or are scary or feel unwarranted that their approach should be to cower and stay silent and just try all the harder not to make him mad. I said, cause they're probably going to experience situations like that, like in the workplace or with their partners or whatever. And, um, I don't want to model that for them. That doesn't feel like the right response. And the um, 
the soul drained out of his face. And he said, okay. So we got back to, to Rochester and things still weren't good. And a couple few days ago, we started talking about what he was angry about. And in one of the first of those conversations, he unloaded all this stuff about like, you know, you abandoned me with the kids those mornings and you were just gone and um, like that. And I was sort of like, wait a second. Like we, I asked you, how do you feel about me go, being gone in the mornings? And you said it was fine. And and I, then I told him, it's so funny, right? Like God, God is so funny or the coincidences of the universe, the great mystery, however you want to frame it. Um, it's cool in the gang with me. Um, but these coincidences, right? Like um, during a normal time, if he'd have said, you abandoned me in the mornings, I would have been like, uh oh, you're right. Like that was pretty selfish of me. In this instance, I had an Evernote documenting how three times a day I had been saying, how are you doing? Is there anything I could do to make your day any better? And I, I pointed that out to him. I mean, he'd been the recipient of it, so he must have noticed it on some level, but I, I don't know that he'd ever heard because I hadn't told him that my commitment to my mastermind group had been to show up big for David and the girls on this trip and to be super present and to do that, I was going to check in with David three times a day about how he was doing and if there was anything else I could do, I was just gonna take a complete service orientation on this trip. And in order to do that, I was gonna fill myself up early, early in the morning when it wouldn't be missed or a problem and then just come home and love on my family all day long. And uh, and I pointed that out to him. I was like, I, I and I, I told him, I said, David, you are not a victim. You are a volunteer. And figuring out what you want and need is not my job. I am out of the figuring out what David wants and needs business. It's a bad business to be in. I asked you all week long, is there anything I can do? How do you feel about me being gone in the mornings? And you were like, I'm fine. It's good. I'm happy. So no fair, no fair telling me now that I abandoned you those mornings, right? If you wanted or needed something different, that was your job to tell me. So fast forward to the kitchen table yesterday. And he said, I've been thinking about the growth edge in my spiritual path, my, my personal work. And he said, what it is, is I've never learned to set boundaries or to express what I want and need. He said, I don't even know what I want and need. He's like, no wonder you don't want to be in the figuring out what David wants and needs business because he's like, I don't know what I want and need. How could you possibly succeed at such a task? And I was like, yeah, touche. <laughs> and you know, God bless my sweet man. It's clear where that comes from. He grew up in a family where there wasn't space for his wants and needs really because other people had a lot going on. And he grew up learning that if you really love someone, you will take care of your own needs and never breathe them into the space because there isn't room. There just isn't room. 
David's a bit of a golden boy. Like he, you know, straight A student, three sport athlete, you know, varsity, honor roll, um, tall, good looking, you know, I mean, like just list the, the, the blessings. Oh, like there's a halo around his head. And, you know, that wasn't the experience of everybody in his family. And, and, and in his family of origin, like there was a lot coming down and David learned to be the normal one and not have needs to be invisible, to just handle himself. So fast forward, he's married me. <laughs> and needless to say, I got a lot going on. And so, you know, at its worst, our cycle is that I show up with a big life and a lot going on and a lot of needs and a lot of clarity about what I want and need. I ooze clarity about what I want and need. It's one of the reasons that I've built, been able to build Brightline Eating the way I have is that <clears throat> I have no problem rallying support, rallying resources. Um, sometimes I do look out at the world and the people around me look like resources to me. Like, oh, I really need help moving a bunch of stuff on Sunday. Who could help with that? And I reach out for help. Not a problem for me. Um, now, there's a difference, though, between knowing what you want and need and being a steamroller or a railroader or a bully, which is what I sometimes get accused of by people in my life who don't know what they want and need or don't know how to ask for it or don't know how to set boundaries. And sometimes over time, they're like, you know, I get steamrolled by you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I check in all the time. What do you want and need? Or, you know, in my closest relationships, I do that. In more distant relationships, I sort of assume everyone's self-responsible. And um, people around me learn pretty quickly that um, I'm the first one to help if anyone wants or needs anything. I, I turn my uh, skill at rallying resources to getting resources for them. I'm like, oh, someone in my universe needs help. Let's figure out how to get them help. So to the people around me who are um, really well practiced at standing in their center, knowing what they want and need and articulating that, um, I end up being a dream person to be in relationship with because um, I'm kind and thoughtful and, um, really responsive to, to the collaboration of finding out joint, you know, um, strategies that would meet both of our needs to people who don't know what they want or need or can't articulate it or are scared of me or, um, are scared in general, or, um, just haven't practiced setting boundaries or speaking their needs into the space. Um, I can be a really hard person to be in relationship with because my orbit is big and um, a day will not go by <laughs> that I don't know what I want and need and set about making it so. Um, so ironically, you know, over the last several years, I've been, my workload has been enormously high and David's less so. And, um, and he still feels overburdened sometimes and tired because the perception is like everything that um, I'm not explicitly taking ownership of falls onto his plate. And he hasn't, as of now, developed the skill to say, hey, I actually don't want this on my plate. Would you take it off? Or could we hire someone to take it off? He got really mad at me the other day. Um, this was a while back. Um, for hiring people to do stuff. 
And um, he called it outsourcing my role, like as a wife and a mother and so forth. And I was like, are you kidding me? Outsourcing my role? Like, what is this? Like 1950s, you know, a woman's place is in the home day. And of course, he didn't mean it that way. He's, um, oh, well, let's not go down the rabbit hole of, you know, men and women. And um, that's a that's a sticky one. That's a hard one. I mean, the reality is, is that in families where both parents are working and there's kids, <sighs> there's 300% to do and two parents in a traditional family, right? 300% to do and two parents. Everyone's going to do more than their fair share. That's just the way it is in modern society. So whether things get divvied up fairly or not is like there's, I don't see any way of coming out of that equation without people feeling overburdened and hard done by and frustrated and resentful um, to some degree, you know, and hopefully a division of responsibility shakes out that feels somewhat equitable, but it's hard. Like parenting in this society is super hard. So anyway, but he was mad about me hiring help because he doesn't know he that's not what he does right and there's probably a part of him that thinks hey that's no fair like she doesn't have time to do xyz and you know she just hires somebody <laughs> you know like i'm like yeah you should try it it's actually a really good idea it's called delegating you know and um yeah totally anyway If you'd asked me yesterday at 8 p.m., I mean yesterday, I'm shooting this vlog on Wednesday. It's, it's vlog day today. I mean yesterday, Tuesday. If you'd asked me at 8 p.m., I would have told you, looking you straight in the eye, I am moving out of my home. I was already sleeping in the basement. We have a bed in the basement. Not actually, I'm in the basement right now, not too far from here. We have this bed and I was sleeping down here for the last several days and I got two bum shoulders and the kids know it. I've been walking around with ice packs on my shoulders. And so they're like, what are you doing, mommy? Why are you sleeping in the basement? I'm like, yeah, my shoulders, I can't sleep comfortably with daddy and he's not sleeping well. I'm not sleeping well. So I just need to get a good night's sleep. And they're like, okay. And then Maya was like, how long are you sleeping in the basement, mommy? I'm like, I don't know, sweetie. A while longer, could be a while. And at 10 p.m. last night, my God voice that tells me the next right thing to do popped up, piped up, said, why don't you go sleep upstairs with your husband tonight? And I felt this relief and this release. So I told David, I said, would you help me carry my stuff, my stuff upstairs? I want to sleep upstairs tonight. And he said, sure. So 
So I went downstairs to get the first load of my stuff. <clears throat> and I started coming up and he was coming down the stairs with his pillow, his alarm clock, and his eye mask to sleep downstairs. <laughs> he thought I was asking him to switch. And on the stairs I said, what are you doing? And he just looked at me and I said, oh, sweetie, no, I meant I want to sleep upstairs with you. And when that landed for him, So up we went. My shoulders are still bad and it was, we got a good night's sleep though. And this morning, we took a bath. We didn't intend to take a bath. He took a bath super early. It was crazy early in the morning. He took a bath. And I came into the bathroom to talk and uh, talk about stuff and I'm standing there cold and he said you can sit in here if you want so I checked in with my God voice and it was like yeah why don't you do that he's big so I had to like get into the tub on my side and I said um, I don't think I'm going to move out And then I watched that land for him. When he's really moved emotionally, he can't speak. But I know my man really well, and I see it all over his face, the emotion and the... It's beautiful. The brain line eating lesson here is actually really important and profound. And uh, hopefully the person who wanted a tip about how to lose weight this week is not listening anymore. <laughs> I realize it's been a long time. How long have I been talking? Long time. That's all right. I gave you fair warning, right? The bright line eating tip here or lesson or more, the moral of the story is actually really important. Because food addiction, or if you don't like that term, doesn't matter. Overeating, turning to food for comfort, relief, numbing, a crutch, emotional eating, whatever you want to call it. It is a disease of codependency as much as addiction. And what I mean by that is... It is the most socially acceptable addiction on planet Earth right now. Probably smartphone addiction is right up there. But food addiction is more damaging. 63% of us are not dying from smartphone addiction. 63% of us are dying too early and in pain from the stuff we're putting in our mouth. And it is the addiction 
that flies under the radar. If you think of yourself as a morally upstanding person, a contributor to society, a good citizen, a good family member, a good provider, a good caretaker, if you think of yourself as someone who does right by their family and friends, and you show up more than you probably should sometimes to support others without speaking your needs into the space, without drawing boundaries the way you need to, food is what provides relief for that, for so many of us. Over caretaking, hurting ourselves by going above and beyond for others is epidemic. David and I were both doing it in our marriage as it was going downhill up until this week, right? I was doing it by showing up over and over again for his irritated, ambiguous behavior. I knew he wasn't speaking what he wanted and needed. And I knew that it, it made him mad for me to suggest that we get some help or support around that. And I didn't know what to do. So I just tried harder to figure it out. And what I could have done, what I should have done is said, I don't want to be available for this dynamic. It's not working for me. I have needs for safety and communication and connection and clarity and um, fun that aren't being met here. And I'm going to create a little bit more distance until, you know, we can have a conversation or, uh, you know, whatever. We can change this dynamic. And instead, I kind of knew, like, he doesn't really know how to ask for what he wants and needs. So I'll just, like, be a cat kind of going, like, what could he be thinking right now? <laughs> right? And he was just showing up to support me in the Bright Line Eating enterprise, you know, without expressing his wants, his needs, his boundaries. And just saying, we've both eaten over that. David tends to maintain about, you know, 20 pounds above where he'd love to be. And I tend to eat immaculately bright, 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 until I don't. And um, yeah. So this holiday season is such an opportunity to take a look at those relationships, right? Like where, where are you being clean or not clean with how you show up? With so many people, we have enough data to know right? Even with people like, you know, holiday parties and whatnot, coworkers, family members, like we know, we know in advance, we have enough data to know how they're likely to show up. And I love that saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I don't think that's enough data though. Once is not a data trend. But fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me three times, shame on me. Why did I show up for that the third time, right? In the Peanuts cartoon, right? Why do they keep showing up to kick the football? She's gonna pull it away, right? That's not on her anymore. That's on the kicker of the football, right? Don't, don't get up to kick that ball. Don't do it, right? You should not be in the kicking of the football game anymore, right? No, thank you. 
I'll find another set of people to play with because falling on my derriere after you pull that football away, it's no fun. No fun. I'm not down for that. I have a saying that I love. I think I made it up. Not sure about that, but I think I did. I've Googled it. Can't find it anywhere. And I say it all the time, so maybe it was me. In this life, we're charged with the care of just one soul, and that's our own. God gave us man-on-man -man defense. It's, I'm in charge of me. You're in charge of you. You're self-responsible. If I'm showing up for a pattern of behavior that stinks, that's on me. No fair giving someone a second, third, fourth, or fifth chance and then resenting them for it. No fair. That's not on them. That's on you. So what that looks like at the Thompson house now is, well, David and I have looked back. He, he thought this video should be about resume, resuming a marriage. Because he looks back over the last year, which has been a really hard year around here, and he realizes we didn't have structured connection time. We didn't have structured professional support in the form of a coach or a marital counselor or workshops we were going to. I'm sitting over, over of course, in the corner laughing, right? Because I'm like, isn't that what you just told me to never invite you to again? <laughs> uh, but that was his idea. Um, so funny. Um, but it's true. And I told him last November, I said, dude, we're coming up to this reboot resume course that I'm about to launch and create for the first time. It's a lot of work. We know that. And we're not doing our nightly connection ritual. We have stopped working with our marital coach. And we can look back at past data and predict this is not going to go well. It never goes well when my workload goes through the roof and we're not connecting regularly, communicating well, getting structured support from people who are, you know, good at that. And he blew me off. I reminded him of that yesterday and he crumpled. He got on his knees and wrapped his arms around me. And he said, I'm sorry, when I'm hurt, I don't even hear. I don't even hear, I don't even register. He's like, I don't remember that conversation, but I'm sure it happened. So I'm not leaving my marriage today. And I'm not eating addictively today. My lines are mercifully, fabulously bright. And I'm being self-responsible today. And I don't know what's gonna happen with my marriage in the future. I do know we've been married 20 years and so I know enough about longevity in a marriage to know that this is kind of, um, par for the course, you know, like marriages go up and down, right? It's like the sine wave of life. I'm going to be talking a lot this month about the resume reframe and that sine wave of life. Marriages are like that. They go up and down. I don't know what's going to happen to my marriage, but the good news is I'm not in the business of knowing the future. God told me super clear on the beach, remember? Sweetheart, you have one job. Listen deep inside and do the next right thing. All you got to do, sweetie, you're being taken care of. David, I love you. Thank you for trusting me to be candid and um, 
Thank you for trusting me to share our stories with the world. I appreciate that about you so much. And for the record, there is no one I would rather be with when things get really hard. David is a prince at hearing hard truth, showing up when it gets real. He would rather a real hard conversation than some sort of sugar-coated nonsense any day. David, I love that about you. Thank you. I hope I represented him fairly. You know, I'm, I'm, um, I feel like ending with a, um, just a little asterisk and a disclaimer. Everything that was shared here was from my perspective, right? If David had shot this vlog, it would have been a different story. I'm hard to live with in a lot of ways. I'm just a lot, you know, and it's a beautiful lot. All right, that's enough out of me. Happy holidays. I love you. That was the weekly vlog. I'll see you next week.